So I'm very excited this morning to be looking, to be coming back into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Matthew 5 or open it up on your device. But I've been really, infor- really enjoying uh, reading the words of Christ. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. His words are the words of God. And so when we read Jesus' words, we're reading God's words. And when we hear Jesus' explanation of the law and the prophets in the Old Testament, we are reading God's interpretation of the law, the prophets in the Old Testament. So for all of the misunderstandings we might have about the Bible and interpreting the Bible and understanding uh, the Bible, Jesus is the interpret- interpreter. And uh, he says things like, this is what this means. You guys have misinterpreted it. You guys have misunderstood it. This is what it means. You have heard it said, but I tell you. So here's God himself commenting on his own word and giving us a new word for our day as well, which is just an amazing opportunity. So you can't really underestimate the value of coming back to Jesus, as we will see, and looking through Jesus into the Old Testament, looking through Jesus into the future. Um, our hope, the fulfillment, the completion of Israel's story and the story that we have found ourselves in through God's generosity to us in Christ. So I'm looking forward to getting into uh, this passage. But before I wanted to get into this passage, I wanted to kind of talk to you about uh, some co- a concern I have as I read these words of Christ in the Beatitudes uh, this morning. Uh, my concern is that we would hear Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, which is pretty much his most dense, most clear proclamation of his, his teaching found in the Bible and of God's teaching to us. My fear is that we would hear Jesus' teaching but continue to be influenced by the world and its systems and its kingdoms uh, more than we are influenced by Jesus and God's kingdom. And it's, uh, it's especially tricky for us to... Uh, to know and to follow Jesus in this world because the world in which we live offers a lot of different versions of a kingdom uh, for people to adhere to, to follow. But they don't call them kingdoms, but we call them worldviews or ways of looking at the world, right? And some of these systems of thinking actually claim to be uh, God-centered. They claim that God is behind them. And they uh, divide the world into good people and bad people. And guess what? You're, you're one of the good people. So that's the good news of the kingdoms of this world. Um, they claim sometimes to have God's authority. They claim to be Jesus' teaching. But Jesus' teaching, Jesus' kingdom is different than the kingdoms of this world. This is something we see time and time again in the Bible. It's different from the, the kingdoms that were existing when Jesus originally gave this word. And in, in Jesus' kingdom, God's kingdom is different from the kingdoms in which the world in which we live now. Uh, You could probably find an equivalent in Jesus' day of every single system and kingdom that's set up in our world today, back in his day. And Jesus brought a whole new way of looking at things to bear upon his world and calls us to do the same. So the concern is, of course, that we're going to read from Matthew. We're going to read the Beatitudes. We're going to think they're cool sounding, but we're going to just revert back to our old way of thinking, and Jesus wants us to do something radical. And this, this concern I get from, from Jesus' very word, Jesus said in Matthew nine sixteen to 17, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. So the idea is simple. If you add an unshrunk patch 
to an old garment that's been shrunk, you know, when the patch, uh, the patch will pull away from the garment and make the tear worse if you're not careful. In verse 17, neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst and wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. So the idea being in the fermentation process, if you have these, they had leather wineskins in Jesus' day, they'd put the wine in to ferment. You have to put new wine in new wineskins because the the leather will stretch with the wine as it ferments. But if you put new wine into old wineskins, the leather's already brittle and stretched, it's going to burst that wineskin wide open. And what Jesus is saying is, you know, we are in danger as we read his teachings in Sermon on the Mount of being exactly like a person who was part of the crowd, who listened to him originally, who was interested, but ultimately walked away unchanged. Uh, because though the ideas seem compelling, though he spoke with, with one who has authority, we revert to our old wineskins, we revert to our old garment, and we, we cannot integrate Jesus' teachings. We are not flexible enough to do so. We are too consumed with being a part of the kingdoms of this world in order to take part in Jesus' kingdom that he brought uh, with his life. So as, as, as the original crowds uh, stood and listened to Jesus, they heard him say, Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. And, and though they thought these teachings were interesting, were different from other teachings they had heard, had some novelty to them, in the end, lots of people heard the very words of God from Jesus' lips, and they walked away. They walked away, not just with their feet, but with their hearts unchanged, unchallenged, on to the next teaching or religious service, back into whatever version of the kingdom they were already a part of uh, that they had bought into before. Um, they, they even retreated and took Jesus' teachings back to kingdoms that were endorsed by other religious leaders of Jesus' day. You know, Jesus had a lot to say to the scribes, the Pharisees, the lawyers of the law, and he had perhaps his greatest critiques against these people who were like shepherds leading the sheep in a bad direction. Um, You have to walk away from this whole system, I think Jesus says, in order to follow him. Um, I don't want to, it's a bad thought to me, and it's a concern to me that we could read Jesus' teachings and be just like the original crowd who heard God's words and walked away because they did not radically change the kingdom allegiance that they were part of and retreated back into their old way of thinking. If people who were in the presence of the person Jesus, God in the flesh, would walk away forgetting what he'd said, how much more in danger are we of doing the same? Especially since we have a lot of different options available to us in the world in which we live, a lot of different kingdoms we could pledge allegiance to. But these people, these people who heard his sermon live, some of them saw God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. They witnessed it. They heard it. They went home without taking what he said very seriously at all. At least not enough to change them, and not enough to put it into practice. As Rob Reimer has said, he's used this phrase, the teaching of Christ sat on the pavement of their soul, unable to penetrate the soil of their lives. They simply integrated his teaching into their existing wineskin, their existing garment, their existing worldview, their existing kingdom, or they dismissed it completely. But uh, the, the, the goal of Jesus is that we would receive his new wine, receive his teaching, and that we would be new wineskins, that we would be flexible enough to, to stretch and grow in his kingdom, that we would be a new garment for his new patch on a garment. Um, 
And I feel this overwhelming sense that we need to be very careful as we listen to Jesus' teaching, that we would be open to the new thing that he wants to do in us, to the new wineskin he wants to give us. So as we take in his new teaching, we ourselves are flexible enough to let go of what we believed before and to take hold of Jesus. And if we don't, you know, by Jesus' own words, we are in danger of bursting open, having all that new wine run into the floor and losing it. Um, unless we allow his teaching to change our very uh, vessel, our very container. So the deeper work of, of, our, of, of the te- taking in the teaching of Jesus is to allow what he says to challenge the deepest parts of who we are, the, the container of who we are, and to let his words actually change who we are so that we can carry his teaching properly. So we don't say, yes, amen, Jesus, I I believe you, but we actually do what he says. Um, And I think uh, one one of the greatest passages that that Jesus used to talk about this um, was when he said, talked about the wise and the foolish builders in Matthew 7. He said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The person who hear, takes in the wine and then puts it into practice allows it to change their worldview, allows it to change their vessel. Um, it's, like a, it's like a wise person who builds their house on the rock. The rain comes down, the streams rise, the winds blow and beat against the house, but it does not fall because it has its foundations on the rock. Everyone who hears Jesus' words, and here he's talking about the words in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, very specifically, and does not put them into practice, is like a foolish person who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. And then we see, when Jesus finished saying this, the crowd was amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their own teachers of the law. So, even in that pastor, we see the danger. The, the crowd's amazed at the teaching. They think it's a really cool teaching, but will they take it to heart? Will they allow, uh, will they put his teaching into practice and not just add it to their, to their existing life? Jesus is declaring a new kingdom. And if we do not make, if we do not hear Jesus' teaching and be pointed to make it the reality on which our entire life turns, then we are in danger of being those old wineskins that try to contain the old wine, the new wine, but they burst open. So what is the new wineskin? What is the new worldview, the new kingdom, which God wants us to uh, define ourselves by? Well, it's, 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 it's talked about by John the Baptist, and then it's re-talked about by Jesus. So it's the same kingdom. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's what John the Baptist said. The kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is this very huge theme in Matthew and, and, and throughout the, the word, um, which, which speaks of not a future heaven when we die, but about God's rule and reign in the present world in which we live. Now, we know it's not fully realized yet, but it is a mustard seed kingdom. It's working its way through the world. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is at hand. So repent, change your mind. Because the kingdom of God is here, and the person who puts my words into practice is like the person building their house on the rock. The kingdom of God is here. 
Um, so take these things in. The kingdom is working its way through all of creation, Jesus says, like a mustard seed, uh, the smallest seed that makes the biggest tree, also very invasive and, and grows like a weed everywhere it falls. Um, it, the kingdom is like a, like, uh, like a yeast in a batch of dough, very small, but works its way through the whole loaf. The kingdoms in the world are being subsumed by God's kingdom. So in Matthew 3, we see the first mention of this from John the Baptist. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God, of heaven, has come near. This is he, Jesus is he, who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So Matthew 3 talks about this kingdom, and it says, Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. If you read The God-Soaked Life with us, some of you just finished that book in your small group this week. And Chris Webb has a great section about what it looks like to repent. What does it look like to get rid of the old wineskin, to get rid of the old garment, take on the new wineskin, the new garment, that can carry the new things that God wants to do? What does it mean to disavow your allegiance to the previous systems of the world and then vow your allegiance to Jesus Christ and his kingdom? And it says this, the word translated repent... Metanoia, which is the kingdom of heaven is near, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. It doesn't mean just confessing our wrongdoings. It has much more to do with an internal change of mind and heart. In other words, your whole being. The seat from which everything you do flows. Metanoia, repent, means a change of everything about you. A simplistic literal reading of the word would be to change one's mind. But really, this word repent has a much deeper and richer overtone than this brief definition suggests. Jesus was not asking people simply to reconsider a few of their religious beliefs, to change a couple of lines in their personal creed, or adopt a slightly adjusted philosophy. We might capture the sense more closely by paraphrasing this word repent as change your entire outlook on life, the worldview that shapes everything you think and do. To repent is to experience a change of outlook and perspective that reshapes you from the heart outward and leaves no part of your life untouched. This is what it means to repent. And John the Baptist said, change. Change your allegiance. The kingdom of heaven is near. Whatever you were, whatever you were following, whatever personality, whatever, whatever politician, whatever country, whatever power, whatever hope that you had in whatever thing there is in the world, change change it to allegiance to god and his kingdom so john the baptist says repent for the kingdom of heaven is near jesus it says in matthew 4 takes on the same ministry of john the baptist in a way it says jesus went throughout galilee teaching in their synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom here it is again the kingdom and he, and then it defines it healing every disease and sickness among the people and news about Jesus spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and Jesus healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. The kingdom of God is at hand. The good news of the kingdom, the kingdom has come near, and Jesus has brought it. So this is, this is, quite a telling passage. First, Jesus says, it says he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and then it says that he healed every sickness. He, he, he took those who were in severe pain, demon-possessed, people that needed deliverance, and he healed them and delivered them. 
This is the sign of the kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus that he was bringing. It's a kingdom where people get restored. Not only do they get forgiven of their sin, they get restored in their bodies, they get restored in their, in their, in their minds by the miracle of Jesus and God's order coming into their lives. And of course, when Jesus proclaims the good news of the kingdom, pretty much everybody that he touches gets healed and touched because Jesus was living out a, the definition of what the future kingdom of God will look like. There is a time, it says in scripture, where, where, uh, where every tear will be wiped away and there will be no more death, no more crying, no more pain, no more illness, no more sickness. That's in the fulfillment of the kingdom of God when everything is as it should be. Until that time, there's all of this brokenness, all of this um, demon oppression, all of this sickness and this need for healing and restoration that, that it's in the world. Jesus proclaimed the kingdom and he just, he gave the, the future kingdom to all the people that he touched. He restored them, he healed them, delivered them, saying, look, this is what my kingdom looks like. Where there's darkness, there's light. Where there's sickness, there's health. Where there is um, a lack of peace, I bring, I'm the Prince of Peace. Jesus brought that to bear hardcore on his surroundings. And from that time on, we have lived in this tension of the already, not yet kingdom. It's already here. People are, are, are being restored, forgiven, healed, um, delivered. But there will be a day when everything is set right, when the kingdoms of this world, those other kingdoms that we might pledge our allegiance to, become subsumed in the kingdom of God and everything is made right. This is the reality in which we live. It's already here, but it's not yet fully present. This is why we can pray for sick people and we can see them made well at times. Not every time, and we don't know why not every time, but we can certainly pray for people and we can see God do great things because the kingdom of God is being brought to bear upon their broken um, life. So Jesus, when he said, he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. When John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom is near, they're saying, as Chris Webb says, that he's not asking people to reconsider a few of their religious beliefs and then go back to business as usual to change a couple of lines of their personal creed or adopt a slightly adjusted philosophy from what they had before. No, he's saying change your entire outlook on life. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's time to give your allegiance to God and Jesus. So when we come to Jesus... And listen to his Sermon on the Mount. We must do so as a people who are sold out for the new world which God is building through Jesus and his church. We must be eager to allow Jesus' words to replace our words. We must let his teaching sink into the soil of our lives. And, and, and when his kingdom challenges our previously held beliefs, we must let Jesus create within us a new wineskin, a new structure for him to dwell within because this kingdom that Jesus brought into our world and inaugurated into our world from the time of John the Baptist um, is at hand. It's here. The kingdom of God, where God's rule and reign is happening, is here. And we are kingdom people. In Jesus, we see this man teaching, preaching, healing, delivering people based on the reality that God's order has broken in to the present world. And when Jesus teaches and preaches and heals and delivers people, it's evidence of that. And it's still happening. It reminds me kind of of, of um, my youngest. She plays with Play-Doh. And she will have a big blob of Play-Doh on the table. And uh, 
it just looks like nothing, and usually it's a lot of colors mixed up together. But she'll take a mold and she'll press it onto that Play-Doh and make it into the shape of a car, into the shape of a house, into the shape of a person. The kingdom of God is like that. It's, it's reshaping and redefining the world in which we live and changing reality. And the, the challenge is to be a, a new wineskin, to be flexible, uh, not like the old wineskin, but like a new wineskin. Because if you take old Play-Doh that's been sitting out for a couple days, and trust me, I know, and you, you press a mold on top of that Play-Doh, it doesn't matter how good that mold is, the whole thing just crumbles and falls apart. We have to remain um, flexible and ready to take in Jesus' teaching, ready to be transformed by it, to be sold out for the kingdom that God wants to bring through Jesus. But again, the, my whole concern is that we would hear the word of Jesus, just like the original crowd did, and we'd walk away unchanged, not even knowing how to change because we haven't surrendered our deepest self and let go uh, for God to take over the whole thing. So Jesus says, be careful. Be careful not just to hear it, but to do it, to put it into practice um, when, you, when, we're, when we're in his word. And the person that does that is like a person that builds their house on the rock. So with all this in mind, we're going to conclude our time today with Matthew 5, 13 to 20. And in these verses, we are hearing the next section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, right after he did the whole blessed are, um, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, happy are. We're hearing the next section on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And he is preaching to the multitudes. He's preaching to the crowds at this point. These are ordinary people from Galilee. These are Jesus' fellow countrymen. Jesus was uh, a Galilean. And these, these people that he's preaching to, for the most part, are just about as opposite of what people would think of as influential, powerful people as you can be. They were thought of as ignorant, yokels, country people without influence in the lower class of society, poor, um, lacking power in their world. These are the people that Jesus called his community. They call, he called them his friends and his family. And these are the people through whom God chose to come into the world, uh, Jesus in Jesus. This is his community. These are his people. And Jesus says to this multitude of average people, illiterate, you know, poor, powerless in their society, he says to these people, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is a lofty teaching for a multitude of people who are powerless and lack influence in their society. But this is just how Jesus' kingdom is. It's upside down. It, it's from the bottom up. It grows and slowly reaches every part of God's world. And notice, notice Jesus didn't just call these, these country folk, these Galileans, this, this multitude. He didn't just call them the salt and light of their community of Galilee or even of their, their part of the world. He said that they were the light of the world, the salt of the earth. These powerless, low people 
Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And this, this proclamation that Jesus makes to these ordinary people is an extension of what we saw last week in the Beatitudes. It's not the powerful Romans who control all the politics and power structures of, uh, of the people. It is not the philosophers who dominate the current thought of the people. It is not the religious teachers and lawyers and leaders who claim to speak for God. It is not for the violent, um, the warriors who are trying to overthrow um, by force, like the zealots. These are not the people that are salt and light in the world. These are not the people that have the kind of influence the kingdom is trying to give. But instead, the most ordinary people, even the most powerless and vulnerable people in society, are called the salt of the earth and the light of the entire world. And once again, this is a proclamation of God himself through the lips of Jesus. These ordinary people are declared to be blessed, to be happy, though they are poor in wealth, spirit, and influence. Though they are grieving, though they are meek, these ordinary people are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. This is what I'm talking about when I talk about Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of God. In God's rule and reign, it is upside down. It's the weakest and the most vulnerable people who are the salt and light of the world, not those who are considered to be powerful. You know, do we believe this is the question. I read a quote from a book this week that said, it isn't that Jesus expected each person to change the world through remarkable accomplishments. Rather, Jesus expected his undistinguished followers to be the source of the world's most essential ingredients. Once again, it isn't that Jesus expected each person to change the world through through remarkable accomplishments. Rather, Jesus expected his undistinguished followers to be the source of the world's most essential ingredients. In the ancient world, you, you may have heard this before, but salt was used primarily as a preservative to keep food from spoiling, not to mention to, as we use it today, to bring out the flavor of food. And the, and the kind of light that this passage talked about would have been those small lamps that were lit uh, that provided light for people after the sun went down, having no electricity. Uh, this was the only option of light for the ancient world at the time. So these people are said to be the preservative of society. They're said to be the flavor of society and the light of the world. A first century elder uh, who, who lived in the, first, in the first 100 years after the time of Christ said, there's nothing more useful in the world than salt and sunshine. Likewise, in a dark, deteriorating world, there's nothing more wonderful than simple, average people living simply as Jesus taught. Again, a group of people who has proclaimed their allegiance to God and his kingdom rather than the kingdoms of this world and are receiving the new wine into the new wineskin, who are growing, who are expanding with Jesus and allowing his kingdom to shine through them, even without the kind of influence that we'd expect uh, they, they would need. In a dark, deteriorating world... There's nothing more wonderful than simple, average people, the multitudes, living just like Jesus taught them to. There's nothing more wonderful as simple, average people allowing Jesus to make them into new garments and wineskins and filling them with his new wine. So while the world looks to the power brokers of society to bring transformation to the world, or as, as we try to become more influential in order to bring about societal change, in God's kingdom, average or even below average people, let's be honest, who simply put Jesus' teachings into practice, will be used of God, Jesus declares it, to preserve, to flavor, to shed light on the world that Jesus loved enough to die for. The seemingly insignificant are significant in God's kingdom, is what this is saying. 
You know, sometimes when we think about our little church, we think about New Life Fellowship and the other churches around here and, and even the churches around the world. We ask ourselves, are we making a difference for God around us? And, and, you know, many times we try to do bigger and better outreaches or events in order to make good things happen. And these are some things we can't do right now uh, during the throes of the pandemic. But we try to do events and different things to make change happen. And these are not bad things. And sometimes Jesus calls us to do outreaches and things like this as the Spirit leads us. But it's important that Jesus taught people, average people like us, if they simply focused on putting Jesus' teachings into practice— and allowing his teachings to shape their worldview and disconnecting from their loyalty to the other kingdoms of this world, the power brokers of society, that through people simply following Jesus, God would both preserve, flavor, and illuminate his world. This is what God's kingdom looks like in actuality. It's always described by Jesus as a small, small thing that flavors the whole thing. So if you will, the mustard seed kingdom it's the smallest of the seeds known at the time of Jesus, makes the biggest of the trees. Uh, um, it's also a, a weed-like seed that once you grow some mustard seeds, it just spreads everywhere and takes everything over. Um, the same with, with leaven that works through a batch of dough. A tiny little thing that grows and changes everything. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. Slowly but surely, over the arc of history, the kingdom of God, people that put Jesus' teachings into practice, declare their allegiance to God, and, and take away their allegiance from the kingdoms of this world, are the ones that God uses to actually change and flavor the whole thing. Uh, I read, a, read an amazing quote from Martin Luther King. He said, The arc of, mor of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. So this is interesting. The arc of the moral universe is long, but bends toward justice. In other words, it's been a long time since Jesus came. It's been a long time since he announced his kingdom. And over the centuries that have followed um, the arc of history, it's long. There's a lot of time that's gone by. But it's slowly bending towards justice as God's mustard seed kingdom breaks in and spreads to the whole world. This is God's kingdom through Jesus, the kingdom, the smallest of the seeds, the tiniest bit of leaven, over time, working its way through the whole society. But many times we, we just take our eyes off of Jesus and the simplicity of taking in, following, and obeying his teachings because we want to have influence in a bigger, more bombastic, more impactful way. And we lose sight completely of the simple teachings of Jesus. Teachings about that we are going to see in this sermon, about how to treat one another, about how to act in relationship with one another, about how to think about the world, about how to think about each other. And we lose all of this good stuff because we, we seek influence and we seek power the way the world seeks it. But Jesus says, focus on what I say. Keep it simple. Hear and obey my teaching. Take it into yourself. Let it change you. And I will make sure that you are a preservative of the world. You are a flavor to the world. You are a light to the world. Not just to your community, to the world. We make it, we make it complicated. We bypass Jesus and his teachings. We try to exert power in other ways. And Jesus says no. Hey, I, I, love, I love all the different types that are in the world, all the different personalities and, uh, and bents that people have, the gifts, the talents, the callings. They're all great. There's such a variety of people. Um, and Jesus represented that in his 12 disciples. He had, he had like 
wealthy, well-to-do people, and then like the lowest of the low. He had people that were like zealots who were trying to overthrow the government, and he had people that were uh, that were complicit with the government. You know, he had all of his twelve disciples. If you ever do a, a study on this, Jesus chose intentionally twelve different people with twelve different worldviews who were pledged to twelve different kingdoms when he called them, and he called them all to be partakers in God's kingdom, and they did. They became not without some hiccups. I mean, we have that one story where one of his disciples chopped the ear off a Roman soldier, and Jesus says, nope, uh, those who live by the sword will die by the sword, and Jesus put the ear back on the soldier. That was a pretty cool story. But again, we have 12 people, 12 different allegiances, 12 different giftings, talents, and, and bents, and Jesus took them and made them his people. You know, the call is to everybody. I think the, the message of him choosing these different types of people to be his followers is that no matter what part of society you're in, pledge allegiance to me, pledge allegiance to my kingdom, to my values, begin to live and be changed by these things, and I will make sure you are the light of the world, the leaven in the loaf, the mustard seed, and over the arc of history, the thing is going to bend towards God's justice. Martin Luther King was right. It's going to bend towards, towards justice. It's going to bend towards righteousness. And someday the kingdoms of the world will become the kingdom of God. Until that time, we are to be salt and light. We are to be connected to Jesus and committed to Jesus. Keep it simple. Whoever hears these teachings of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, but it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, presumably because they're putting other things into practice, is like a foolish man who builds his house in the sand. The rain comes down, the streams rise, the winds blow, and beat against the house, and it falls with a great crash. It's simple. Jesus goes on in verse uh, 17. He says, Do not think, he says this to the multitude, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What was Jesus saying here? He's saying we should not just chuck the Old Testament or the New Testament just because we don't understand them fully. Very simply, Jesus is saying, don't throw away any part of the Bible. I think Jesus is asking us to respect the entire story of salvation history, even if you don't fully understand it. He says, don't belittle my commands or the words that I've given, but instead look to me as the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation. Look, at, look, at me, look to me as the fulfillment of God's kingdom. So no matter how tempted we might be to discard or ignore certain parts of the Bible, saying, you know, all we need is the teachings of Christ or all we need is the teachings of Paul, you know, no matter how confused we might be, Jesus commands us to look at him as the fulfillment of the entire hope of the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets. And he, and he says very clearly, I didn't come to abolish this stuff. This is all stuff that I came to fulfill. He didn't come to throw away any part of God's revelation. You know, from Genesis 1 to Revelation, to the end of Revelation, God has been working a promised plan of salvation, a covenant plan of salvation throughout history. 
and we are in the age of the church after Christ, where the kingdom of God is creeping along the earth, and someday Jesus will come and fulfill his kingdom completely. But no part of that history should be thrown away, discarded. Uh, we should interpret the old through Christ. We should look towards the new through our hope in Christ. Jesus is, as, uh, as I think Jason used as an example this summer when he was preaching through Hebrews, Jesus is the Rosetta Stone of the Bible. The Rosetta Stone of understanding God and his kingdom. And, and he is the conclusion of Israel's story and the invitation for us to join in to the kingdom of God. So Jesus throws off this accusation that had been made about him, that he, was, he wanted to destroy the law and the prophets, and says, no, I actually didn't come to destroy them at all. In fact, not one dot or line will disappear from them until they're fulfilled, and I'm the one that's going to fulfill them. Jesus said that. The entire thing is going to be fulfilled in Jesus. The, all the hopes from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament and all of our future hope through the end is found in Jesus. Because all scripture is God-breathed, it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Jesus did not abolish the first section of God's salvation history, but he fulfilled it. He is the fulfillment of the hope. And we look back to Jesus, even as they looked forward to Jesus. And once again, Jesus is talking to simple people. He's talking to the multitudes, country folks, without wealth, without influence, and he's saying, keep it simple. You are the salt of the world. As you put my words into practice, as you respect the, the revelation of salvation history that I have fulfilled, I will pour in my new wine if you pledge allegiance to me, if you uh, submit yourself to me, if you keep me at the front and center of everything you think and do, if you look at everything through my revelation that I've given of God's love, then you are going to be the salt of the earth. You are going to be the city on the hill. You are going to be the light of the world. So the final, the final word is just this very simple thing. And I will say, you are the multitudes. I am the multitudes. Uh, we are simple people. We lack the, the kind of influence other people have in the world. But through our simple devotion to Jesus, God is going to use us in surprising ways to bring about his kingdom where the, that which is wrong is made right. For those who are sick, those who are grieving, um, are given mercy and love. Those who are meek, those who are peacemakers, will be called sons of God. All of these things, the hallmarks of his kingdom. As we keep Jesus' teachings and words at the front and center, taking them seriously, pledging our allegiance to him alone as our savior, as our, as our ruler, and as we engage with the world in the way that he tells us to, you know, God's kingdom will come, God's will will be done. This is why Jesus is able to say things that are seemingly so upside down. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is God's kingdom. If we keep our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. We put his words into practice. We keep flexible, and we, we maintain our allegiance to him alone. God's kingdom will come. His will will be done.
I'm going to end with a song that, uh, that Julie Harmon introduced us to this summer, One Pure and Holy Passion. I think this is a great way to focus in on the king and his kingdom, that among the people in this world that we interact with, among our body of Christ here, that we would hear Jesus' words and put them into practice, that we'd have one pure and holy passion, one obsession, one single-hearted desire of our lives. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God to know and follow hard after God. Yes, Father, let us live lives worthy of the calling that we've received to be peacemakers, to be peacemakers, to, to make peace with you, tell others how to find peace with you, and then make peace between people. That we would minister the humility and ministry of Christ, not only to our own hearts, not only to our friends, but to those that we struggle, struggle with. That we would love as you love fiercely, calling all to the new ethic of your kingdom. We submit ourselves to you. We submit our church to you. We pray that your kingdom would come within our body. We, we do not believe that we get this as a birthright as far as because we're a church, you have to bless us. But we believe that we could miss your kingdom, that we could miss out, just like the religious people of Jesus' day missed out. Let us be a place where your kingdom comes in the coming days, God, where your kingdom is brought to bear powerfully, the simple act of receiving your grace, giving grace to others in its many forms, for praying for healing, seeing you touch lives, delivering people. We want to see the powerful works of your kingdom brought by the Spirit, who is the power of God, not by us, as we continue to keep Jesus front and center and his teachings front and center, and remaining flexible and open to changing our very vessel so that we can carry the, the precious wine that you want us to carry. Uh, I just pray for your people. I pray for new life. I pray for the church of Saratoga Springs, of New York, of our country, of our world. Many people gathered in Jesus' name right now all around the world. We are so weak. We, see, we are so insignificant. We could never make a difference, but we believe. We believe your word that says that if we do these things, that eventually your kingdom will work its way through the whole of society. And we look to you as our hope, our hope for the future. And we look to the great things that you will do as we seek to follow you, Jesus. And I pray your blessing upon this church, Lord, upon the people in it, those who are sick, those who are recovering, those who cannot, for various reasons, come back together. your blessing on each one. They would know your love. You continue to lead us like a shepherd. Amen.